Welcome to Living Water Radio. Think you don't need to know how to preach a sermon unless you are a clergy person? Think again. Today we will consider how to craft a sermon to help you be a better evangelist and a better listener. My name is Pastor David Burkadall. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a United Church of Christ slash Christian Church Disciples of Christ ordained minister focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and in San Dimas, California for over 40 years. Today, maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the 110 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. Well, the pandemic has been strange all the way through, but now hospital ICUs are filling up all over the country. No room. Doctors and nurses are exhausted. They say that we can go to our hospitals if we are sick or injured and they'll find room, but it may not be in a room designed to take care of us. And all this because some people refuse to do the simple things necessary to literally save lives and return our economy to at least the new normal. It seems like the people who are complaining the loudest about the current restrictions are the same people who refuse to do the simple things that would make them end. It's a strange time. Today, I'd like to share with you some ideas on how to preach a sermon during this pandemic and beyond. Now, you may think, I'm not a preacher. What does that have to do with me? Well, so I'm glad you asked. Some of us are set apart for word and sacrament ministries. All of us are preachers in some ways. I'm going to talk about doing both to help us all understand the sermons we hear by giving some insight into how they are created and by sharing some insight into how all of us preach the Word and how to do it better. John Godfrey Saxes said, Laws like sausages seek to inspire respect in proportion as we know how they are made. I suppose the same could be said about sermons. The danger of dwelling too much on the mechanics of how sermons are created is that it can produce listeners who only hear the words, not their meaning or their power. Francis of Assisi is often credited with saying, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Except that he never said that. He often emphasized the importance of living one's faith, but he used a lot of words to emphasize that. We do find that idea attractive, though. It makes us feel less guilty about not talking with people about our faith for fear we will be embarrassed by some question we can't answer, or that we will be thought intolerant or divisive at work, or that we will be stereotyped and isolated by our friends and family. We want to feel good about ourselves and superior to those hypocrites who say they believe but don't act like I do. Some say, I don't talk about my faith, I show it in my actions. That has always interested in me because talking about Jesus is a form of action. At some point, words are necessary. We wouldn't know the gospel unless someone hadn't used words. Actions by themselves may make us think that we are good persons, but they don't say anything in themselves about Jesus. Even the story about, I was hungry and you fed me, I was naked and you clothed me at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, presumes a faith that finds its natural outcome in love and service toward others. Otherwise, the news that it's not faith, but doing enough good works to get into heaven is very bad news. 
without naming the name of Jesus, without pointing people in the origin of our good works, in a living relationship with the one true living God, that is, faith, we are just a social service agency, or a political advocacy group, or a family of people who use religious language. There's no need of a cross for that. Here's a riddle. What do you get when you cross a Lutheran with a Jehovah's Witness? Someone who goes door to door but doesn't say anything. I suppose I could describe a lot of denominations, but I think that it fits mine. What do you think? How do you share your faith? Sermons are proclamations of our faith for the building up of the church and for the sake of the world. As I mentioned last time, the Bible says that they are to be proclaimed as the very words of God. How does the preacher communicate something that comes to him or her from God as a human being to another human being? How does the creation convey something from the Creator to another creation? Do you shout? Do you pour out the emotion? Do you embody reserve? People today evaluate preaching on the basis of how a sermon makes them feel, not whether or not it is true or spoken in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have entered so far into our spiritual decadence, I think, that many of us don't have a clue on how to gauge good preaching. And I don't and many, we don't think we need to. We just need our feelings. I think that one of the greatest advantages for being considered a good preacher today is the incredibly low expectations for what a sermon is or what people should expect to hear and experience from them. In the generation before me, many preachers built their sermons around a formula, three points and a poem. Charles Merrill Smith, in his book, How to Become a Bishop Without Being Religious, offered this formula, make them laugh, make them cry, make them feel religious. Is that it? Is that how to preach a sermon? Here's what I think is the preaching process that leads to proclamation, whether you're in a pulpit or on the street. Number one, pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would guide and inspire your preparations and your delivery. The Holy Spirit makes anything that is going to happen, happen. Your preparation is important but the Holy Spirit makes proclamation happen. Number two, plan your time. Pulpit preachers, read the Bible passage you will be preaching on early in the week. Let it percolate. Make notes during the week as ideas occur to you. Look for stories. Think about something in your life and your world to make it relatable. Try to keep them all in one place. The rule of thumb taught in seminaries used to be one hour of preparation for one minute of speaking. What working pastor has that much time? Do as much as you can, and don't worry about it too much. As Leonard Bernstein once said, to achieve great things, two things are, necess are needed, a plan and not quite enough time. If your preaching takes place in ordinary conversations, be ready with the whole counsel of Scripture. I heard a mother who had a son playing for USC and another son playing for UCLA in last Saturday's football game talk about the way she raised them. One of her teachings to her sons was, always be ready. If you're always ready, you never have to get ready. Peter wrote in his first letter, the third chapter beginning at the middle of the 15th verse, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Number three, do your exegesis. 
Exegesis is the analytical study of the text you will be preaching on. It often includes reading the text in the original language, studying what it meant at the time it was written, the historical and cultural context, the way in which it was put together, its literary form, and so on. You have to know what the message is before you preach it. You can't be thought to be an excellent preacher while proclaiming the wrong message. Understand the truth through exegesis, and then use the stories and examples you have developed to illustrate it. One of my colleagues told me that a professor in a seminary said that exegesis is like underwear. Everyone wants to know that you've got it on, but no one wants to see it. If people are seeing it, a sermon is going to seem like an academic lecture, like the young preacher who went to the prestigious Morehouse University and came to his first church wanting to make sure that the congregation understood his excellent education and knowledge. The long-suffering congregation put up with it, knowing he was young, until one Sunday an old deacon during the prayers asked, Lord, send us more of your word from your house and less from Morehouse. People don't care what you know until they know that you care, care about them, and care about the truth you are proclaiming. Preach the gospel. Number four, preparing the manuscript. There are very fine preachers who speak from a full manuscript, some from an outline, and others without any notes at all. I started out as a manuscript preacher. I wrote everything out word for word. In fact, the first time I preached at my home church, I was really nervous. My family would be there, my friends, my former Sunday school teachers, the pastors, the church staff. I think it was over Christmas vacation of my first year that my hometown church pastor asked if I would preach at the watch night New Year's Eve service. He said he'd like me to do a homily. That means short. So I asked him how long it should be, and he said, about 12 minutes. Fine. I worked on that sermon and timed it at exactly 12 minutes. On New Year's Eve, I got up to preach. I finished the sermon, sat down, and looked at my watch. Six minutes. I thought, I must have been really nervous. I asked my mom if I seemed nervous. No, she said, you seem fine. I looked at my manuscript. I'd written it on six sheets of paper, front and back. Then I realized that I'd written the sermon on both sides of the pieces of paper, but I had only read the front sides. Somehow, it all held together. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We can only hope that people will hear what God wants people to hear through our proclamation. I eventually went to an outline, then to a more bare-bones outline on the front of one page, and then to an outline with all the stories circled in red. I wrote the first letters of each story down the left side of the page and memorized the letters with an anagram. I made a mental picture of what that page looked like and fixed it in my head, and then I put it on the pulpit for me to deliver the sermon. Then I read an article on narrative preaching, a style of preaching where the whole sermon is a story. One sentence in that article changed the way I preached. It was, If you, after five, ten, twenty, or however many hours you spend preparing a sermon, can't remember it, how do you expect anyone to remember it after hearing it one time? I started leaving the outline in my office and became a noteless preacher. Here, I divulge a secret for anyone who heard me preach when I served a congregation in San Dimas. When we started using a screen and multimedia for worship, I did the multimedia and used lots of slides for my sermon. I had a clicker in my hand and could advance the slides myself. 
The slides were often pictures that reminded me of a story I wanted to tell. Those pictures kind of served as notes, even when I didn't have any. Now Sally and I are retired, and when, before the pandemic, I was asked to preach somewhere, they usually didn't have as robust a multimedia platform as we used in San Dimas, so I was back to stories and circles fixed in my mind. I also didn't put the sermon together until Saturday afternoon. Sometimes I would do it overnight, between catnaps. That way, it would be totally fresh when I delivered it on Sunday morning. Number five, delivery. Know your congregation or the people with whom you are sharing your faith. Look at them. See what is connecting and what isn't. Remember how they respond. But don't take your estimations too seriously. I learned this on internship. When there were Sundays that people came out and said things like, fine sermon, on days that I hadn't even preached. There were also days that I thought the congregation would be carrying me out of the church on their shoulders when their reactions in the line of people shaking my hand to leave were totally flat. There were some days that I knew that I was being boring. I bored myself. Yet people filed out with exuberance. You hit a home run today, Pastor. Genuine respect for you as a preacher is possible, but it has to be earned. There has to be a certain trust and respect between pastor and people. If you are not a clergy person, you have an advantage here. People are more likely to take the word of a credible witness, like that of a friend or a family member, over a clergy person who, particularly if they are not Christians, and those are the people we're trying to reach, tend to believe a pastor is just doing their job, or they only want a bigger congregation and more money. Added to that, in our culture, people don't always know how to recognize what is respectable. Fred Allen, the early 20th century comedian, once said, The most important thing is in Hollywood is sincerity. So when you can fake that, you've got it made. They say that a con man can look you straight in the eye and convince you that they are telling the truth. Think about newscasters and politicians. Why are we inclined to trust them? Because they look at us right in the eye when they speak. If their heads were down and they were reading from a page, would we think that they were trustworthy or that they were just doing a job they get paid for? Of course. They don't have half-hour news memorized. They, they are reading it off of a teleprompter. Some pastors are doing the same during the pandemic for video sermons. They are looking or almost looking at you right in the eye. Six, the aftermath. There is an element of adrenaline and a spiritual rush to preaching wherever it takes place. But a pastor or an evangelist is like anybody else. They go home to an ordinary, though fulfilling, human life. It takes some emotional resilience. But that's the life of a contagious Christian. Let your faith be viral. You are a preacher. Always be ready to share the living hope that is within you. Number seven, pray. Pray that the seed you have planted will take root. Pray for those who have expressed resistance to the gospel and to you. Pray that the Holy Spirit might flow in them like streams of living water and bring them the joy of new life in Jesus Christ. Today, let's remember to pray that we may be God's instruments to do God's will in all things. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal and we'll send it to you. 
Send your prayer requests to the same addresses, and we'll include them next time. Send your comments there as well. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune in to the worship services they have currently available and support the church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Stay home unless you are providing essential services or need them. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, especially those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated.